We are going to talk about mothers from a perspective of what they can teach us, 10 things that mothers can teach us that they know just by virtue of being a mother. You go through certain experiences and it changes. You have a different perspective on life. And so mothers have that. They have a different perspective. They, we learn things that we can only learn from them because they are mothers. But as I was thinking about us and the fact that our church as a whole has this baby that's about to be born down the road. We're very expectant. You know, we've been waiting for something to grow and a new life to start and something new. I was like, well, why, what are the parallels there? Things that mothers learn uh, about parenting, about nurturing, about patience, all these sorts of things that we're going to look at from the book of Ephesians. And um, I thought these really do apply to us. I I'd like to think about that. I'd like to learn from mothers for where we are in our moment. But then as I read the passage, you know, as, as David and others know, like, you have to let this passage speak to what you are going to say rather than putting your thoughts into it. I realized, well, this is, these are lessons on faith that we need to learn from mothers. And so that's kind of how I want to read Ephesians chapter 1 uh, from the perspective of how it applies to us as parents, uh, for all of us as believers. We need to know these things. God is our parent. We have spiritual fathers and mothers around us. We are spiritual fathers and mothers. But also we're in like a unique season. We are expected. We're ready to deliver a new thing into existence that God has given us. It's grace. It's a gift. A baby's grace, right? And there's so this parallel. So that's where I'd like to go this morning. I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 1. I'll read verses uh, just 3 through 14. I encourage you to read on. I was tempted to read all of chapter 1 and chapter 2, and then I started reading out loud, and I fell asleep halfway through my reading, so I figured I wouldn't do that to you. Um, but it's beautiful, and this is a continuous letter, right? This is not just one chapter, one chapter, one chapter. One of the unique things, actually, I will point out that I liked about this Gospel of Matthew, you've had a chance to flip yours open, it has a chapter heading, but there are no verse numbers, because the original writers didn't put in verse numbers. They're like, oh, good thought for Five. We don't write letters that way. All they're doing is telling the story of Jesus. So um, it breaks it up so you can find things. Like, I think that's in chapter 7. You can find 7, but then chapter 7 is just the words of Matthew, the gospel writer. So we reference numbers. Um, they were not in the originals. People don't write that way. Uh, also, the little headings in your Bibles. I guess I'll just take a moment and talk about biblical study. The headings that are in your Bibles now were not written by the original writers because they weren't thinking, hmm, what is paragraph 2? Good title. They just wrote a letter. But for us to study the scriptures, there's been lots of things that have been added to it so that it might make it easier to study. So my Bible here has headings. This is about thanksgiving and prayer. It kind of sets your mind. What does God want to say through this? And then I can refer to verse 7. You know what I mean? Instead of just having like a whole book of math and be like, well, I think it's about like three quarters of the way through. The beginning of the paragraph before it starts with there. Like, yeah. you can't. <laughs> but recognize that this is just people. And sometimes we make it too technical. It loses the humanity of it. It's just people who saw stuff from God and then they wrote it down. And we're studying their experiences so that we can have experiences with God. So anyway, in, in Ephesians, the letter is great. You should read the whole letter. Maybe that's a good exercise for you this week. Uh, but certainly chapters 1 and 2 go together for our reading this morning. I would just like to read verses 3 through 14. Um, as I hinted at, uh, there are 10 things that I would like to just pinpoint in here on mothers, what they can teach us. So see if you can pick them out, or if you pick out the same 10 that I did, maybe other ones will stand out to you. Um, but let's learn from scripture. Let's just read it aloud. I'll read it to us this morning. 
Uh, please receive the word of the Lord. It's a beautiful and powerful thing. Uh, starting with verse 1, just to set the tone. This is from Paul. It's a letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to all the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And in him we have, we have, right, already, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, all to the praise of his glory. Amen. So the first thing that mothers know and that we need to know as believers, as a church, that we need to know is that children are just a gift. They are a gift. For some, it's easy to have children. Some never are able. My own family experience, I was born, and it was 12 years till my sister was born. For even within a relationship, we don't. Every child is a gift. And mothers know this. Because mothers know what it was like to be before pregnant. They know what it's like to be pregnant. Like... God, and your timing in this way, and after, and to have these children, like, that's a thing that a mother understands. That was not in her control. We see this in verse 4. I'm going to walk us through the various verses where we see this in the text, how it speaks to us as believers. Do you see where it says we've been blessed in verse 4 now? Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Our children were chosen for us also before the foundation of the world. And Christ and our salvation, the whole plan, redemption, was chosen before the foundation of the world. It's a gift. You can no more force yourself to become pregnant if it's not God's will than you can force yourself to be a Christian if God's not in it. It's not a will sort of thing. It's a grace thing. And so moms know this. <laughs> the miracle of now there's a, a human growing inside of me. How is that possible? God chose for it to be or has chosen that it would not be at this time. And that choosing of us in our faith is something that we have to recognize. This is from God. We need to be thankful for our faith, not entitled to it. And this certainly applies to where we're going. If we take it from mothers to faith to the center, we don't deserve a center. We didn't earn a center on Maine. 
We're not forcing a center on me. It's happening to us. How did this baby come to be? What will it look like when it grows up? I don't know, but it's growing and it's happening. It's a gift. Our faith is by grace alone. And if we read more into chapter 2, faith is by grace, not by works. So no one should boast. So the minute, moms, you like to start bragging about your kids, they're a gift. Phrase it different. Thank you, God, for this great gift that you've given these kids versus my kids. I got the bumper sticker. My kid's an all-star student, an athlete, and grace, right? Humility in child rearing and bearing. And when we get there, grace. So we go there and we're all proud of ourselves for everything that we've done. How long do you think it's going to take God to be like, should I take that away from those guys? They're wrecking my plans. I had plans to get some glory and do some spiritual work there. And they're thinking this is about them. Remember, the Israelites did some of this and some of them stayed in the wilderness. If we want to get to the promised land, we have to stay faithful. We have to know that God is good and then give him the credit. This is our story too. So it's just one thing that we can see in here. Our faith is a gift to us. It is just so simple. Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins and that if you trust in him, you'll live for eternal life. You'll have eternal life. You'll live forever. Like that is the gospel. We are sinners. We are saved by grace. It doesn't matter which church you go to. It doesn't matter if you read the Bible for five minutes in the morning or an hour in the morning or skip mornings. Heaven forbid. No one here skips morning reading the Bible and praying, do they? But just say theoretically you ever did. <laughs> it's not about that. God doesn't love you more if you're more disciplined. He just has to exercise more patience with you if you lack discipline. But he will, and he'll prod you and help you learn discipline, right? We know this. Mothers know this. It is all a gift. You cannot make yourself a Christian. You just need to ask God. And I, I counsel that for people who would like to be mothers as well. If we recognize the grace of it beforehand and simply ask God, whether it's through birth or through adoption or through fostering, please give us those children. Then he's ready to be like, oh, this person gets it. They're ready for the gift, not just their plans or their will. God's will. So there's the first thought. What mothers know, what we need to know as believers, and really, oh, please hang on to that thought for the center. I will be calling you out on it if I hear otherwise. When we're if I hear too much bragging or too much, look what we've done, look what we've got, look at our place, eh, there's going to be a little pastoral moment. Let's talk over here. Let me put my arm around your shoulder and very gently say, never say that again, please. Thank you. Awesome. This is God's work. He gets the glory. Period. Second thing that we, moms know, we find in verse 10. Moms know waiting. They know waiting. Maybe better than anyone could know waiting. The waiting of having something in you trying to get out and to grow and to be born and the uncomfortability of your back and your legs and your stomach. And like, that is hard waiting in a way that only moms could know. But here's the secret to it, and we'll see it in our faith, we'll see it in the center. Moms know that if they try to rush it, the baby's not gonna be ready. The baby's not gonna be healthy. I would like to give birth to this baby at month three. That baby can't survive. The baby's not developed enough. This is God with us, this is our faith as well. Look at it in verse 10. God has a plan for the fullness of time. Jesus was part of God's plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Why didn't Jesus come earlier? 
God's people in the world was not ready. Why didn't he come later? Why not just 2023 be the year that Christ arrives? It would be overdue. The fullness of time, that word fullness literally is the Greek word for expectant, pregnant. The, you know, a uh, time was, was or a phrase like pregnant with meaning. We use this phrase in other ways besides just bearing children, and that's the word that's applied here. The world was ready, God was ready, and it was time for Christ. He came in the fullness of time. You know, mothers get nervous when babies are born too much prematurely. It's a very fearful thing. We, we pray that God gives us good doctors and healthy babies that they can survive because we know if it isn't time yet, there's a lot of risk there. There's a lot of danger. And if we're going past the due date, it has its own dangers, right? So the fullness of time is God's perfect time. Well, think about that for us in our faith. How many of us have just been dying for God to do something in our lives and it's just not happening yet? Well, if we're seeking him and it's not happening, you know, we're not being wayward, we're not backsliding, we're not trying to, if we're really seeking him, then he just doesn't think we're ready for it yet. It's not ready yet. So you could force it and make it happen, but it's not going to be developed the way it needs to be to be the perfect fullness of time. So let God have his word in timing because he knows when time is perfect. So for our faith, maybe we really still lack patience when we deal with others and it's a bad testimony. Or maybe we're still too afraid to talk to people about our faith, and so we're not making any impact on the world around us. Okay, those are small faith moments. We grow from there. And as God helps us grow to the fullness of time, our faith takes on a healthier aspect. So don't be too discouraged. Be bothered by the things in your life that aren't where we want them to be, where God wants. But work and grow towards them. There is a growth and a waiting. The waiting is not just God saying no or too bad or I'm bored or I'm busy. We're waiting for things to be ready. And you might not be ready yet. I might not be ready yet. And in fact, we have not gotten to the center yet, so I will say categorically we have not been ready yet to get to the center. Otherwise, he would have made it happen already. Like, hmm, that's interesting. I wonder what's been happening in this time that we needed because we weren't ready. But the fullness of time is coming. And for our center, we need to recognize that it needs to be prepared Talk needs to be prepared. We need to be prepared. Kingdom of God needs to be prepared. And then when the fullness of time happens, happy birthday, baby. It's, it's ready. It's time. It's time. So mothers know that. We need to know that as well. The third one, uh, the uniqueness of a child. Mothers know that even though this child is part of them, it's also nothing like them. It could be just like them or nothing like them. It has all of your relatives in the family tree that could also take genetic code from. So it could be partly you, but it also could be like Uncle or Aunt Sally three times removed. And you're like, I don't even recognize this kid. Like, where did this baby come from? Our parents have all said that about us, so we're allowed to say that about our children. This is normal. Um, <laughs> the phrase that scripture uses and teaches is that we're adopted. And have you ever thought that actually natural birth is, is a form of adoption as well? Like God's giving you a child that's of you, but not totally like you. It's a little bit of a stranger. Sometimes our kids are strangers to us. Um, sometimes they're just strange, and that happens too. But sometimes they're strange. Like, I don't understand this behavior. Like, I don't know how to speak to this strange little human that came from us, but is clearly insane in this moment, and I don't know what to do about that. Um, and it makes us insane in that moment, and then it just gets what, right, the parenting, right, the game. Um, but uh, there's a uniqueness to our children that we need to respect. We're not trying to make them just like us. We recognize that we have to learn who they are. Uh, and that's what adoption is all about. So the place in our passage is in verse 5, where that's mentioned. 
In God's love, he predestined us. That means he set up a plan so that it could happen and protected it and preserved it to fulfillment. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. So we get to all be strange with Jesus. And we all get to be strangers. And we might not even understand each other, and that's fine. We're just like this hodgepodge, eclectic family gathered together. That's the way it's supposed to be. We learn from each other. We recognize differences. Mothers know that. Because a mother really would wish that all their kids were just like them, so it would be easy. But it's not. And they're like, ah, why can't they just think the way I think? And then I can just parent easily. And God's like, no, you got some growing to do. I'm going to teach you how to parent this kind of a kid, and then this kind of a kid, and then this kind of a kid. And that's how faith is, too. God's parenting us uniquely. I'm not trying to force conformity here. This is not a cult as much as I joke about wearing shoes and changing names or whatever we're doing. Like, we're, I'm so free to joke about that because this is so far from the reality. We're not looking for any form of conformity and uniformity, except if it's just to Christ. And each of us will represent a different facet of Christ. So just be a representation of Christ that you are, what you're born to be, what he created to be. You created in Christ to do good works, or his workmanship. Like That's your calling, not what does our church do or what are, how do we worship on a Sunday. Like You bring your uniqueness. Parents, mothers especially, get that. We need to get that. The center will follow suit. The center will be like New Hope Christian Chapel, but it will not be this. And so there will be a little bit of like releasing of that place to be its own baby. Right? We like the way we do things here. We like the way this place looks. There's a comfortable. <laughs> we like how we drive here, the distance from our home. We like everything about it. There's something comfortable. And then a new baby is born like, this baby's not as easy. This baby's harder. I gotta maybe drive further, and maybe I gotta like set up my folding chair and dust off the you know cement off before I sit down, and like I can't really hear things in here. I can't like, well, it just, who's this baby? Well, we don't know. I don't know who the baby's gonna grow up to be, but I know we're called to parent it together. That's our child that we've been called, chosen for time to just steward over and pour ourselves into, and we will. And it's gonna be great. We don't know how it's going to go. We don't know what it's going to be like, except that we will love it. And it will love us the way a child loves its parents. It will be the place that we're meant to be because it's called by God. So uniqueness is important. Um, we try to make our kids too much like us. That's when you get a lot of rebellion because parent, no, the kids aren't exactly like their parents. We try to force it and you end up fighting. All right, the fourth one. Keep track of my time here. Pretty soon we'll be in a place where you don't have a time schedule. I could preach for hours. <laughs> this is cool. <laughs> this is good. Get ready for it, people. Like, remember when Dave preached less than two hours at a time? Oh, the good old days. Take us back to Egypt where there are cantaloupes. <laughs> That's what they said. The Israelites, when they got the new place, it was harder, and they wanted to go back to where it was comfortable. We probably are going to feel like that sometimes. Like, give yourself permission to be like, can't we just have our comfy chairs and the fans above? Like, no, you can't, because God said it's time to move. So say goodbye to less than two-hour sermons, folks. All right. Um, verse 14 talks about beginnings. I'd like to think about that from the mother's perspective. Verse 14 says, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Think about what that means. You've gotten something, but you haven't. 
You have part of it, but not all of it. It's a guarantee of what's to come until we acquire. So you have, but until we acquire. Within one sentence, he's showing kind of this, we have faith, we don't have heaven yet. But we do have heaven on earth. We pray for God's kingdom to come on earth and his will to be done. We, we have the Holy Spirit, but then we're going to get more. So there's this, like, tension. And um, mothers understand beginnings. They know that when this baby shows up, it's not like, whew, that was cool. It's not finished. You then begin. The baby begins. After that long season of waiting, now you start. You thought you were doing a whole lot of work. It hadn't even begun yet. Birthday is day one. And in our faith, it's the exact same way. Conversion is not the goal. Oh, I believed in Jesus. Whew, good thing. You just began a new life, an eternal life. Now you have to live that out. You get to live that out. Christ will live that out in you. It's the beginning of something. And so some churches, and we may find ourselves even kind of slipping into this, if they're in a place where they're meeting lots of new people and people are coming to Christ, they make the goal sort of like salvation, conversion. And then what happens, we celebrate, we're good, and then we like move on. That's like leaving babies everywhere. They can't yet walk or feed themselves. It's, just, it's not kind to babies, and it's not the goal. Conversion is not the goal. Nurture is the goal. Long life is the goal. Health, maturity, discipleship, that is what you do with a child. So in our faith, sometimes we let ourselves off the hook too easy. We never would with it. Our mothers know this. Never have a baby and then just like put in its bassinet and like check on it in a month. It doesn't work that way. I will say convictingly to myself, I've absolutely done that to new Christians. You believe in the Lord? Awesome. Sit in your bassinet. I'll check on you in a month. Like, I don't know how to eat or walk or talk or sleep, but we don't think of it the same we need to. Baby Christian, baby human. Like, the parallels are just right there. We need to care for the people that are coming to Christ. And the same thing goes for the center. You might think you've been working really hard, scraping floors. Feels like we've been doing a lot. We've had some aching bones. Is that going to then stop when we get there? No. It will only have begun. Like, all of this is just the building towards the birth, but the birth is the beginning. Right? And so we see that it's the beginning. Um, yeah, verse 14. The inheritance leads us into acquiring possession of it all for the praise of his glory. All right, let's move on to the next one. We find it in verse 12. Mothers understand legacy really well. Every mother knows, and this is why it's so tragic and hurts so much when this doesn't happen this way. Every mother knows and expects that the child will far outlive them. It is tragic when parents outlive their children. It's like not the way it's meant to be, right? It like messes with your mind. Like that's not how I thought it was supposed to be. And tragedy is in this world. That's a reality. And so some parents have to experience that and lean on God's grace and his mercy to, to be comforted in that time. But um, a mother's mindset, the intent, the starting perception is that I need to invest everything in this because this will continue past me. Children are my legacy. They'll live on and carry on, not just the family name, but the family culture, the family values. They'll bring others into the family, and Lord willing, the family will grow and expand. That's the natural way, <coughs> and even though it doesn't happen that way all the time, that's the intent behind it, is to say legacy. Do you think of your faith that way? Usually we think of our faith as a present, a Christmas present. You unwrap it, and it's beautiful. Thank you. Faith's not that way. Faith is a legacy. How are you passing on your family name, the name of Jesus? 
How will your spiritual children, as well as your regular children, carry it on in the future? How will they bring others into this family of faith? This is important, and mothers know this instinctively. Like, I need to do my best to care for this child because one day I won't be here. It needs to live and thrive on its own and be equipped with all the tools to live and to grow. We need to think that way in faith as well. And the center also. Lord willing, the center will far outlive all of us. That's a cool thought. We're planting something that's not just for us. It will outlast us all. And hopefully, if we can instill a culture there and values there that are of Christ, that are his kingdom, then God will be happy to leave it there for a long time, doing good work. That's like perfectly aligned with what he's looking for. And others will come in that will then take the torch and the handoff, the baton, and they'll run with it for a while. Maybe it'll outlast them. Like that's a beautiful thing. And we'll just keep passing the torch until Jesus comes back. That needs to be our mentality. We're not recipients. We're not consumers. We're part of a legacy chain. And it's been handed to us. We have life somehow. It's been given. We need to pass it on. Mothers really deeply feel this. We should learn from that. Our faith should be more like mothers when it comes to this. And I hope we reflect that in this next place. All right, we're up to the sixth one. Like I said, there were 10. So I'm kind of just going through them. Um, some of them may apply to you specifically more than others, and that's fine. These are the ones that stood out to me, so I'm kind of just trusting the Holy Spirit that when the one pops up that you particularly need to hear, the reason why you're here this morning, it'll like click and hit home, and then you can take that with you um, to be a better mom, to be a better Christian, to be a better New Hope member. Like We're looking to grow by reading the Word of God, and these are ways I think we can this morning. The next one we find in verse 9, and the thing that mothers can teach us, the thing that mothers know, is that they're going to have to do a lot of learning to be a good mom. You're just not born knowing what you need to know. You don't have it yet. So where are you going to get it? I recommend TikTok and the internet. I think that's a <laughs> fabulous way to guide all your parenting decisions, but let's just say you want to go a little deeper or more profound than that. Talk to other Christians who've been parents before who tried to raise their children to love the Lord. They've tried and failed and won some and lost some, and they've just learned things along the way. But you don't know it yet. And a mom knows that because usually she has a hotline to either her mom or a friend or a sister or someone who's been praying. Like, this baby's doing this thing. I don't know what this means. Am I a terrible parent? Like, no, it's normal. Okay, what do I do? Well, I tried this. Try that. Oh. Yeah, he's okay. And as soon as you learn it, you sort of like move on to the next thing you don't know, but you recognize you don't know any of the stuff you need to know yet. But we as Christians sort of feel like, I got this. I think to be a Christian, I'm supposed to read my Bible a little bit. I pray a little bit. said a prayer to accept Jesus into my heart. Got baptized. Go to church. What more is there to learn? You, you clearly aren't raising any spiritual children or involved in any spiritual activity that's challenging you if you have all the answers already. It's one of the reasons my children are so good for our growth. Because they all of a sudden start stretching us in all the ways we weren't ready to be stretched. And all the ways that are different from us. So it probably means if you don't have any faith-like wrestling matches you're doing, you're playing too safe. And you're keeping it too simple. And you're setting the bar too low because you can reach the bar. And if a mom on day one is like, I know everything I'm going to need to know to raise this child through 18 and out of the house and then as an adult, you'd be pretty worried for that mom. 
So be pretty worried for your faith if that's how you feel about you and Jesus. It's the same thing. You've got to grow up in him. There's a lot we need to learn. So in verse 9, the beautiful word which I would love for us is let ring in our minds. Um, Paul writes, this makes known to us the mystery. The mystery of God's will. Kids are an absolute mystery. That's it. They're just a mystery. Like, what are they doing right now? <laughs> I don't, all your teachers like know this, all your parents know, like just they're just like confounding. But that's okay. It's actually what it's supposed to be. A mystery drives us to like discover it and uncover it. Our faith is a mystery. God is a mystery. If you've figured out God enough that there's no mystery to him, you have every question answered, you haven't really fully met God. And I'm not, I'm not understanding or overstating that. That's true. If there's still in your brain right now, isn't some like category in God where he's like, I don't I don't know. How can he be or who is he or what, how does that work? Well, then you've made him very small. you made him very small. He needs to reveal the mystery of himself, just like we uncover the mystery of our kids. And there's mystery to where we're going. That's cool. Mystery. We don't have to fight that. We don't have to be worried about that. You know you don't know some stuff. And it's an unknown until God shows us, but we stay in step with his spirit. He'll just show us. We needed to punch the computer today, guys. <laughs> All right? We didn't know that. It was just broken. It was a mystery. We said a prayer. God said punch. We punch. We move on. Like, that's how our life has to go. We have to, like, just live in the moment with the Holy Spirit. It's a mystery. And this is against all of our planning and our preparations and our decidings and our knowings. It's different. Mystery doesn't permit us to know it all. We'll actually grow in our faith a lot if we embrace some of the mystery. And we'll do better at the center if we let it be a mystery. Instead of saying, well, I thought it was going to be like this. Or I want to make sure we do this. Or we better do this. Or it's not church unless we have this. Like all the things that are known. If we'll be willing to just release some of those into a mystery and then see how that baby grows up, we'll be a little surprised. Like, oh, it wasn't quite what I expected. If we're following God, then each of the computer punches along the way will lead us to a better future. Lead us to a better experience with the Spirit. We're not supposed to know it all. That's not our job. So there's learning involved for mothers, for faith, for the center. Uh, seventh thing I think we can learn is, uh, has to do with an example. Mothers, do you all know, and have you learned by now, that the example you set is far more important than the words that you say? Right? Yeah, it's just true. And we who have mothers can all say that about them as learners of them. We might not remember everything they taught us, but we remember how they lived how they acted, how they treated people. Example. Do we see that here in verse 4? Do you see what I saw? We have been chosen in God before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. We have not just been chosen to get included in the cool club. We've been chosen to become holy, which is this like great example of God, this reflection of him to the world. We've not just been chosen to be Christian. You've been chosen to become holy. Holy, different, that means different, it means set apart, it means like righteous, like reflecting God. So mothers, you know that you've not just been chosen to like create a list of household rules and tape it to the fridge and be like, I'm good, and then do whatever you want. Kids are not going to 
turn out all that good until they have to unlearn all the things they've learned from you to learn how to do it right down the road. Like, give them a leg up by yourself being holy as a mother. And then also give the instruction along the way, but it's far more important to live a holy life as a mother than it is to have all the answers as a mother. Same, same for faith. Same. It is far more important for us individually to just be living a holy life than for it is to have all the answers for the people that ask us what we believe or how do we understand this or what do we think about evolution and creation or what do we think about genders and sexuality. Like, focus on what God is saying. How can we live the most holy, righteous life? What does that look like and how are we learning that and growing in that? And then step into the mystery of the rest. And too often churches like to say, this is what you have to do and this is what this means and we have the answers and we've got we got to learn as we go. And that's why we have truth. So we can learn as we go. That's why we have each other. Moms know this. Moms wish there was one of these for every one of their children. The specific instruction book, case by case. But no, you got to just ask God, how do I parent this child? And in faith, it is more important that we be right with God ourselves than we turn around and try to make people around us right with God. Do you remember that verse in the woes of Matthew? Woe to you, Pharisees and scribes. Woe to you, Pharisees. There's like a bunch of them in a row. Remember the one that said, you travel over sea and land to make a convert, and as soon as you have made him a convert, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. That was Jesus. That's word for word. They were making converts and making them like themselves, and they were awful. So what's the point of introducing people to Christ if they're going to become like us and we're awful? But if we're trying to be like Christ, then anyone we bump into, there's a chance that they might actually see Jesus and become more like him, and that's good. It's pure. It's right. The example is far more important. So we may have lots of things we do down at the center. Who are we going to be at the center? What's our reputation going to be with our neighbors? What are people going to experience when they walk in the door? Who will we be? How will they see us talking to each other? How will they see us treating each other? Will they see the little sarcastic jabs and barbs? Will they see judgmental talk? Will they see exclusivity where we think we're better than our others? Like, will they see that? Well, then if they do convert, that's what they're going to become. I don't want that. I'd rather have no one come to Christ in our new location if we're nothing like Christ and they're becoming like us. So just think about your example. Mothers, fathers, Christians, focus on that. Don't worry about other people. Everything you think you wish everybody else would do, start just doing that yourself. Let the trickle out power of the Holy Spirit doing something right in one person impact others through example. There's too much talk and not enough follow through, both for parents and for Christians, we're not meant to be that way. All right, a few more, a few more here. Prayer, verse 13 and 14, um, talking about the Holy Spirit. We were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God in us. When we believe, we receive it. It lets us pray, lets us communicate to God. And any mother worth her salt knows how to pray. Because you're praying all the time. Please, God, forgive me. That's one of the big prayers for moms. Great. Please, God, give me wisdom. I don't know. Awesome. Please, God, bless this child's future. The best thing any mom could ever do is just pray every day for the future of their children. 
Don't worry that they're not picking up their socks on the floor. They'll get that. That doesn't matter in the long run. Worry that they're going to marry the right person. And you can't even control that, so what are you going to do about it? Put it in his hands. Right? We fight over all the little stuff, and then the big stuff happens after that. You're like, oh, maybe I should have been praying about the big stuff. Pray for your kids' kids. Pray for your kids' jobs. Pray for your kids' futures, because then you're putting them in God's hands so they can go on and acquire this possession. Every mom knows how to pray. Every good mom knows how to pray and prays a lot. And it works. God answers those prayers. Every Christian knows that we need to pray if we're going to see any sort of success or fruit in our lives. We can't make it happen. I can't make it happen. It's not how it works. I can't make it happen. We pray for it to happen to us, and then it happens. We say, thank you, God. That's all Holy Spirit stuff. And if you don't have that piece down, your faith is not going to get very big and very vibrant and thrive. And if you don't have that piece down as a parent, then you're day-to-day. You're, you're losing sight of the goal, the legacy goal. Pray. If you don't even have children now, but you're hoping one day to foster or adopt or have, pray for your future children's spouses and children and jobs and faith and resilience in the face of struggle and tragedy and ability to hang on to their face, their faith in the face of doubts and a world that wants nothing to do with Christ. Like, that's the prayer. Because if we're not praying that, what's the point of having a child at all? Just have a child that's going to be ill-equipped and we're, we're going to be too focused on the things that are just about us and not prepare them spiritually for the future that they will experience. That's the center. If we don't pray for God to bless it, it's not going to be that we work hard or I preach my two-hour sermons. That's not, that's not the deal. I know you're relieved. It's good. It's not the goal. It's not the thing. It's not our thing. It's God's thing. Be praying now for the center. Be praying for it as a location. Be praying for it as a collection of people, as a community. Be praying for it as an influential agent in downtown Taunton. Be praying for it. That's what a mom knows. That's what the center needs. That's what our faith needs. Number nine. Moms know they have to make sacrifices for their children. But a specific sacrifice that's hardest, I think, for moms is they need to sacrifice their own desires for their children. Moms have to give up their own will in the face of who their children actually are sometimes. And moms need to give up their own wishes for a children's future sometimes in the face of God's plans for that child. And sometimes moms need to say, I really wanted this, but I think it might be better. And God might be saying, we needed this or now need this. Like it's more of God's will in successful parenting than the mother controlling to force and conform her will upon the child. So in verse 11, we see, and you probably heard me emphasize it a couple times, I think it happens three times in our passage, but verse 11 says, um, we've been predestined, you know, prepared, protected, according to God's purpose, who works all things, according to the counsel of his will. It's not our will. So if we set up too clear a will of what we want in our faith, who we're going to grow to be, what we're going to do, what ministries we're going to be involved in, how we're like, what's God's will for you? I know there are some people I've talked with in this church recently that are feeling like God's doing new things in them right now. But what if they set up a whole lifetime plan based on what they knew a year ago? It would be a different plan. 
And God's will wouldn't have a part of it because they would have been predetermined, predestining their own will into their future, which is a mystery. So mom knows that her will is not always done on heaven as on earth with kids. God's got to have his will and his way with your kids. We need that in our faith as well. Do not predestine yourself. Oh, well, I only have the, the gift of hospitality. I like to be behind the scenes. Anybody ever said that? Yeah, I know you. You don't have to raise your hands. This church is filled primarily with people who would rather be behind the scenes. Can I get an amen? Yeah. I know you. We're family. Most of us. 90% of us in the New Hope family would rather be the quiet servers behind the scenes. I was one of those people too, before God's like, hey, you're going to be preaching. Like, oh crap, his will be done. That's not what I was expecting or what I wanted. But then he grew me in that, and now I'm like, I love that part of how I get to relate to God. But it would not have been in my plans. I was doing computers and something else. God's will be done. So for all of you who are like, I like to be behind the scenes. Is that just what you want? Is that safe? Is that comfortable? Or is that what God wants? Maybe God wants you on a street corner. Maybe he wants you at Panera reading the Gospel of Matthew out loud. And you're like, I might actually have to do that thing that Dave's talking about. Yeah, you actually just do. Because it's not just me saying this to you. I'm encouraging you to open yourself to what God will want from you. Be visible in your faith. It might be uncomfortable. Cool. You'll live. It might be awkward. Awesome. You'll learn how to be less awkward over time. It might take you a while. Some of us are pretty awkward. So just... Be awkward for a long time and then be fine. You live. You live. Don't box ourselves in. God has a will that he wants to do. Our only job is to discover his will. Not to cookie cutter stamp our will onto things and then say, God, I hope that's what you wanted because that's what I'm doing. And that's a sacrifice. And moms know that. You have lifelong plans. I want this kid to grow up just like me. I want them to learn the piano like I do. Or I want them to learn and love sewing like you do. Or like they're going to be... And then they grow up and they're like, nothing you like and want nothing to do with the things. What about my plan? Kid, conform. Mom's will. But that's not maybe who they are. So yeah, you can force it. But what about God's will? What's God's will? Open, open, sacrifice our will in favor of the Lord, both for our faith and for our children and for the center. The last one, 10, is all about nurturing. Nurturing, nurturing, church. It goes back to verse 14. Let's read it again. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We have to nurture children when they grow until they acquire the skills. So moms know basically the buck stops with them until the child is old enough that the buck can start and stop with them. But there's like a whole long time where if your child doesn't eat on their own or make their own food, you have to do it. You also should be teaching them how to do it so there does come a day at some point in your life where they can make their own food. That's important. Life skill. Faith skills the same way. The people that you lead to Christ, if they're like local enough, not that you met them like in you know, a foreign country and there's no opportunity for that, although with the internet, maybe there's just now no limits for any of that. You're responsible for making sure that they're okay 
after that person meets Jesus. There's a whole process of nurturing until they are able to live on their own. And the same thing with the center. We're putting in so much time, and I really I appreciate everyone, all these hours, we've all volunteered, we've all volunteered, and the money we've put into it, and the time, and the prayers. Like It's quite a labor of love to get to the beginning, which will then be a labor of love for however long God permits us to keep serving him in that way, in that place. So prepare yourself for a season of nurturing. When we get to the center, its health and activity, it's on you. It's not on anybody else. There is nobody else. And it's not just on me. It's on you. We can't get to the center and be like, oh, someone else will take care of that. It's you. You have to take care of that. When you lead someone to Christ, you're like, someone else will disciple them. You were the person God chose to introduce them to Jesus, so teach them about Jesus. Read the Gospel of Matthew together. It's not complicated, but it takes effort. There must be nurture. The other version of that is just participant, observer. What did I say before? Consumerist, receiver. Oh, I can't wait to get to the new place so that the musicians can like lead us in worship. Pass the buck. Music stops on them. So that Pastor Dave can teach us more things. I'll teach. Pass the buck. No. Who is going to talk to our neighbors? Who's going to sweep a floor? Who's going to paint a wall? Who's going to preach a sermon? Who's going to teach our kids? Who's going to run a pottery class? Who's going to run a sewing class? Us. You. And that's what parents know. That's what moms know. Like There is no opting out. Unless you give your kid away, the buck stops with you. Like, you have to. Is that I don't even know. I hope not. We are too easy to think someone else will take care of it. And if you're thinking that someone else is going to take care of your own spiritual life and your own faith, when it's you that's got to do it, that's on you. You've got to search out resources and read books and watch podcasts, listen to podcasts, like be a part of groups, challenge yourself with mentors and with peers and be in Bible studies and come to Sundays and wrestle with stuff. And like, that's on you. Between you and the Holy Spirit until you acquire possession. So our job is to like help nurture each other. Yeah, everybody's fighting this thing on their own, but we're helping each other because we're different and we're unique. We don't all have the same things we're learning or wrestling with. Um, but when we get to the center, it'll be the same way as well. We don't arrive and put up our feet. We arrive and like get to work, seeing what God will do in us. So I, I, I challenge us to embrace nurturing embrace nurturing. Now if I could leave us with the ten opposites before I pray over us and invite the music team to come up for communion in just a minute. I would say that the ten opposites of all of these things are our dangers and so I'm just going to really quickly say the ten things that will be the opposite of everything I've just said. So if you've been taking any notes, if you want to put this opposite word next to each one of these ten, these are the dangers. Uh, we have all fallen into these at times. Let's wake up to the reality of them this morning so that they don't become stumbling blocks in the days ahead. The opposite of recognizing that everything is a gift is being entitled. We cannot be entitled or God will take it all away because it's his, it's not ours. Don't want God to take away our kids. We don't want God to take away our faith. We don't want God to take away our center. We are not entitled to any of it. Fight against the I deserve statements. They have no place. We do not deserve. Everything's a gift. The second opposite. The opposite of waiting is impatience. 
We're all going to be impatient at times, fight against that. The grumbling, the how are we going to do this, when is it going to happen, it's too soon, it's too late, it's too whatever. That impatience, the grumbling is why the Israelites didn't even get to the promised land. The opposite of waiting for God's fullness of time is impatience. It's not trusting God. We cannot have impatience. We just, oh, this is interesting. I didn't realize this would be God's timing. It's way longer than I wanted. Cool. His will be done. Don't give impatience a foothold. This creates murmuring. This creates um, bickering. This creates sniping. It's like, when? Why? Like, no. God, God will figure it out. The third one, the opposite of uniqueness that children must have is our tradition. Let's just be open-handed with our tradition the way we've always done things. The way you grew up as a kid is not the way your child will grow up. It's not the same world. Be open-handed with your tradition because tradition can kill the uniqueness of a child. Just squash it. Just as much as it can squash the future health of a church. We're not making clones. We're bringing new life to their uniqueness. Fourth one, the opposite of uh, beginnings, you know, starting a season at birth is weariness. Moms know everything about this, but it's the enemy. Too tired to be patient, too tired to be kind, too tired to be gentle, too tired to have hope, too tired to go the extra mile, too tired to show love. Th those happen for us as parents. Those are not our friend. Those are the enemy. And in our faith and in the center, don't be so tired. If you need a break, take a break so that when we're present, really be the loving examples that we need to be. Don't let your weariness undermine your reputation and your, your spiritual integrity. Six, the opposite of learning is pride. We don't know anything yet. Not as parents, not as Christians, and not as New Hopians heading there, and that's cool. So many think you got all figured out. Please check that thought. It's not true. Seventh one, the opposite of a godly example is just sin, and it gets in the way. Don't let sin get a foothold in your life so that the example we're giving is the worst possible one. Sin is the enemy. Sin wants to destroy you. Sin wants to wreck your life. It's not your friend. It's not helping you. It's not temporary, inconsequential. It matters. Fight it. Pray against it. Ask for help from your spiritual friends to win that battle. Prayer, the opposite of prayer, I put planning. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. You'll have to think about that more. Maybe there's a balance. We certainly need to set some expectations and goals, but sometimes our plans become our God. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. Prayer is like, your will be done. So I might have a long spreadsheet of what I want, but the prayer might just like... And we got to be okay with that. The prayer has to supersede the plans every time. Last two, sacrificing our wills. The opposite of that is control. Don't be a controlling parent. Don't. Let your kids breathe. Let them have a little space to just be little hooligans when they need to and to be wild, to be ridiculous, to be wrong. Like just give them space. That control is not going to end up with a better result. It just creates more tension in the growing process. Same thing with our center. They made me put in the asterisks on my slide before, Lord willing. I will concede all control in my planning. I will not force anything that God doesn't want. But I see things ahead. I have expectations and hopes. Um, I will not control outcomes, and we should not as a church either. 
And the last one, opposite of nurturing is passivity. Don't be a passive parent. Don't love your sports more than your kids. Don't love Facebook more than talking to your children. Don't love Instagram more than showing them a good work ethic of cleaning when it needs to be done and cooking when it needs to be done, basics in life. Don't be a passive parent. Don't be passive in how you treat other people because if you have a life that's totally just, well, our family just kind of goes home and hangs out, and what, then how are you teaching your kids to care about their neighbor and to go out of their way, to spend evenings and weekends serving people at homeless shelters or at the center or wherever? If you live a passive life, then you're not nurturing them to become active, thriving adults. You're teaching them it's just what we do. We just hang out. It's cool. Life's good. Life's easy. Passive parenting is not good. Passive faith is not good. Oh, God will help me with that. Yeah, but like work on your salvation with fear and trembling. Like mold it. Like give it to God. Break pieces off that don't belong. Let's be in the process. And let's not be passive at the center. Let's invest. To invest ourselves in whatever way we can so that something beautiful can grow. I don't want to get them to be like, yeah, this is cool. I wonder what God's going to do here. So like, I wonder what we're going to do, what I'm going to do, there, what you're going to do there. It's for us to do. So may all these things be an encouragement to the, the moms in the room for what it means to be a great mom. Practice these things regardless of the age of your children. For us as Christians, please practice these things so that your faith can be healthy. See it the way God sees it. And for us in these last weeks, in this time of change, let's practice these things. Let's embed them. We need to be mothers corporately as God gives us something new to care for and to, uh, to parent it well, too, as God helps it to grow. So I'm going to invite the musicians to come forward. I'm going to say a prayer now um, for these things for us this morning. And then um, we'll come to... The communion table. Oh, that's locked. Switch to the downside. You're locked out. Quirks. We know all these buildings quirks, right? We have to learn all new ones. Like, why does this light turn off when we don't want it to? Why does this? We'll figure them all out when we get there. The black switch in the back. You can push it all the way to the bottom. Then you have a screen. Beautiful. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your parenting abilities. Your skills far outmatch any of ours, and that's as it should be. It's a mystery how you do what you do. How do you even parent a world and a universe full of life and beings and humans and animals and creatures that you care for, Father? Thank you so much for your son. Thank you for his sacrifice. We come to the communion table this morning. I pray that you would help us to recognize the lengths you go to nurture us, how you're never passive with us, how you help us to learn, how you step into our lives and create new beginnings, uh, how you show us your grace by all the things that you give us. So on this Mother's Day, Father God, I pray that you would bless each mother here this morning, each uh, the mothers that are part of our extended families, may they receive your parental blessing in their calling, not just a role, but a calling to be a mother. Thank you for the gift of children that you've given to them. We pray for those expecting or hoping or planning or praying for children in the future. May your will be done. We pray for the future children that you will bring into our community here, our families and our friends. Ask your blessing on them. 
May they encounter your love and be different because of it. May they grow to become like you and to be holy, to be different from this crazy world all around us. So ask your blessing on mothers. Ask your blessing on us as your children, as people of faith. May we be nurtured. May we grow. May we embrace the mystery of what it means to believe in you. And for us as a church family, please help us to steward well what you are entrusting to us. Uh, help it to come about in your timing. Help the, the delivery date, the due date, the day one to be your perfect plan. And then uh, give us wisdom for the whole life of that place and for the legacy long after we're gone um, that your name might be proclaimed, that your love might reside there in a powerful way. So we ask your future blessing on that future place and look forward to being introduced to it as you help it to grow in its own way. So this morning, Father, please convict us of the areas we need to turn over to you. Please strengthen and encourage those of us who are weary because of the muchness in life. And uh, please bless these elements, the bread and the juice, that we remember the lengths that you go to to parent well. May we go to those same lengths of self-sacrifice uh, because of your example, because of your love for us. So just ask a blessing on this whole wonderful Mother's Day, all the events that will happen later and on this communion moment around this table as your family. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.